For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Hey folks, welcome back to the Drake cast. For the past month or so, we've been putting the final touches on the winter 2017 issue of the Drake magazine, and I've kind of fallen behind on the whole podcast thing. For that, I apologize. Fingers crossed, from here on out, we're going to have a new episode every Friday. This week, we've got a story of tradition and remembrance, and it's actually connected to a story that we put out a few months back. Early on, I was drawn to fish, and... um... Back in the 50s, that was sort of unacceptable. Girls are supposed to be in dresses and can-cans and, and doing that stuff. But I would have rather been walking around with a cane pole and a can of worms. If you haven't heard this story, definitely pause right now. Go back in our feed, find episode number 12. It's called Dresses and Can-Cans. At its core, it's the story of a woman named Patty and how the wilderness saved her life. But episode 12 is also the story of how Patty's dad and my grandfather became friends and how fishing helped forge that friendship. Bill and Ed met through the local bar association after World War II and quickly became fishing friends. Each Veterans Day, the men would load their John boat and drive to the Mississippi River where it separates Wisconsin from Minnesota. They did it to honor the friends that didn't make it through the war. They did it because the courthouse was closed. They did it because the fishing was good. But there's another reason that Patty's dad and my granddad used to go down and fish this stretch of the Mississippi on Veterans Day. And it's actually a specific event that took place 77 years ago. Now, there aren't many people left that remember that specific event, but I was lucky enough to find one of them. You want me to start from the beginning, sir? Yeah, yeah, that's great. This is Dave. He's 91, still well over six feet tall, not completely bald, and of course, a bit hard of hearing. At that time, there were lots and lots of ducks, probably a hundred or more ducks to one duck that we have now. And the Keller's Island was right out from Buffalo City, and it was, uh, oh, you might almost say famous for the duck hunting, duck hunters. So if you wanted a spot over in Keller's Island on a weekend, you had to get your butt out of bed early in the morning to get over there because... There were a lot of guys there to hunt. I met Dave a couple weeks ago at St. Michael's Assisted Living Facility in Fountain City, Wisconsin, which is right on the banks of the Mississippi River. And Fountain City is just a few miles downstream from Buffalo City and Keller's Island. That Keller's Island was at one time owned by my granddad. My dad used to called our island once in a while. That always sort of tickled me. And Dave got to telling me a story that took place nearly eight decades ago. I was about uh, 14 years old when this happened. My dad wanted to go duck hunting. He liked to hunt ducks. In those years, the duck hunting was great. You could go out most any day and shoot some ducks, even if the sunny days. But uh, we'd always prefer to go out in the morning where it's uh, windy and cold, you know. And this particular morning? The day started out nice. Distinctly remember, I wanted to go duck hunting with my dad. Things were really looking up for some good shooting. And my folks said, no, I had to go to school. 
Anyway, uh, I went to school. My dad went duck hunting. And uh, when school was out, my mother sent me out the garden. There was some cabbage out there yet. And when I went out there to get the cabbage, the rain that had been falling was freezing on the cabbage. I always remember him coming in the house, his hunting coat is iced up, you know. He had four just awfully nice screen heads, and he said he could have shot the whole lot more if he could have, could have seen them coming. But he said you had to shoot, and the ducks were flying with the wind, so they were flying probably 60, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> he didn't get over to Keller's Island like he had planned to. So it's, uh, and when I saw him, then I was sort of glad I didn't go along. But anyway. <clears throat> and Dave's dad actually hitched a ride home because when he got back to his car after duck hunting, the rain had frozen the handle shut and he just couldn't get into his vehicle. But anyway, uh, dad came home and got different clothes on and got a thermos bottle of hot water to pour on the door handle. And we went down to Roar's garage to see if there was somebody there that could take us to Buffalo City, over to the car. Thankfully, there was. The wind was still whipping, but by this time, the freezing rain had turned into snow. Dad poured the hot water in the handle so we could get the, in the car and get the car home. While they were retrieving the car from Buffalo City, they noticed some signs of life across the channel on Keller's Island. And there was some guys trying to launch a boat to get over to rescue some of these people. The wind was so bad out of the north and northwest, they couldn't get the boat launched. That, that evening, the guys worked, worked their butts off trying to get a boat in the water to get over to the islands where these guys were. They, those guys tried their very best. To get the boat to the water, I get a little emotional, but uh, that's the way it is. But uh, that was a storm to remember. This was the Great Armistice Day blizzard of 1940. All in all, the storm killed 149 people across the Midwest. And a few dozen of those casualties were duck hunters stuck on the Mississippi River in places like Keller's Island. In this episode, we travel back in time through the sloughs of the Mississippi River to honor the fallen duck hunters. The muddy backwaters hold untold stories, but they're also fertile ground for creating new memories. Stick around. Like every year, November 11, 2017 started in Independence, Wisconsin at Patty's house. Hi, Patty. Once again, this is Patty. Her dad and my granddad used to fish together on the Mississippi. Patty, cup of joe. This is my dad. His name's Tim. He's also helped keep this tradition alive. 
And him and Patty used to fish on the Mississippi together as kids, and still do so now as certified senior citizens. Serving some wild game this morning, so not everybody likes wild game, so I will not feel offended if you don't want to eat it. What kind of wild game we got this morning, Patty? We got squirrel. Wow. My favorite rodent. <laughs> this is my dad's friend, Mark. He's from the area and has joined us for the last two years on the Mississippi. We got squirrel and we got some wild rice bread. Nice. We got venison, bologna sausage, and we got a traditional Polish dish, dish called uh, krupnok or grit bologna. Krupnoki? Krupnok. It's okay. Polish. Okay. I think I've heard of yeah. And finally, ever the contrarian, this is John. He's another friend of my dad's and actually of distant relation to Patty because everyone in and around Independence, Wisconsin is somehow related to everybody else in that area. Group noak, not with an E. We, oh. If you put a vowel on the end, it becomes too Italian. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have heard it with an E on the end. As we loaded our plates... Oh. Patty brought out an ancient jaundiced newspaper from a Veterans Day a few decades back. What is that? How old is that paper? <laughs> the yellow. Yeah. Max Conrad spent the night of the blizzard at a concert by a young Milwaukee pianist named Walter Liberace. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the next morning he flew his Piper Cub into Gill Winds to spot stranded hunters. So he's he's was a, one of the great heroes of that of yeah. the next day. Yeah. yeah, you know, goes on to tell here that about some kids that were out there. The ice wasn't thick enough to walk on, but Jim and Ray dragged the boat across the marsh until they wore through the hull. Jim found the skiff, but went through the ice into the water up to his neck. Ooh. Burton Smith, the shop teacher at Logan, finally made it to the island where Laverne had huddled under the tarp. They somehow made it to shore. Ray Bice found another skiff chained to a tree. He shot the lock off and straddled the little boat as he scooted towards the tiny island. Dick wore a ring in the snow where he had spent the night running in circles to stay warm, but he was alive and smiling. Wow. And that was just from, you know, these guys from Winona. And it goes on to... Of course, these were the stories of survival from those who lived. We'll never know what exactly happened to those duck hunters that didn't make it back to shore. What do you think about this fishing today, Elliot? We huddled around the newspaper and the food for a good while because it was a heck of a lot nicer indoors than it was outside. It's going to be cold, but we got to give it a try, don't we? We have to give it a try. Gotta give it a try. A little concerned about the boat landing itself. Is that gonna be slippery? My concern is, uh, is the wind, and not only the wind, but the freezing up on the guides. That's the evil part, the ice forming on the guides. Does that work, does that happen on your fly rods? Oh, it yeah. does, it does. Yeah, that kind of stops it. But by 11 o'clock, it should be 32 degrees. <laughs> but if they're biting, it's okay. But if they're not biting, like Wednesday... Somewhat reluctantly, we hitched the John boats onto the back of the trucks and headed south. It was cold that morning. The salt trucks were out for the first time I had seen that year, and a thin layer of ice covered the slack water that we passed on our way to the river. We weren't the first cars at the boat landing. 
Patty explained that the other vehicles probably belonged to duck hunters. I loaded into Patty's boat while John, Mark, and my old man readied their craft. Are you ready? Are we ready? Bring her on! But before we can get out on the water and catch some fish, a few words from our sponsors. As always, this episode of the Drake Cast is sponsored by our good friends at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's featured destination is Belize. Easy to get there, Belize is ideal for anglers who are new or relatively new to saltwater, great for families or couples, and incredibly diverse when it comes to fishing, with opportunities for bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, and more. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. No matter what species you're after, Yellow Dog can get you within casting distance. Book your winter getaway at yellowdogflyfishing.com. We're also sponsored by the folks at Scott Fly Rods. The other day, I got Jim Barchi, the president of Scott Fly Rods, on the phone to talk about the research and development that goes into every Scott fly rod. I really love to rely on our community pro staff and dealers to give us continuous feedback on projects. It's pre-vetted. We're not field testing on our customers. Check them out at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. We're going to go, we're going to go down where I caught some before. Patty's 10-horsepower motor moved us along just quickly enough for the cold to fully penetrate the five layers of wool, polyester, down, and Gore-Tex that I wore. So it's an overcast day, and it's November 11th. It's Armistice Day, now called Veterans Day, and we're down here. And when we're fishing on the backwaters of the Mississippi, honoring, honoring those who were out here in the storm on that day and reflecting back on what it was like. Grateful to be here. Hope I can come again next year. And we're not seeing any other human beings around here because there's not too many other fools out here on a day like today. Seeing some migrations of some birds. Seeing some pelicans and swans, some eagles. And we're actually running our running our baits off the edge of the ice every once in a while, casting them up on the edge, bringing them right off the edge, hoping for a big carpouche, but. What was your dad's experience down here on Armistice Day Blizzard? Did he have an experience down here? Or was he in Independence? My dad was an attorney in Grant County at the time, and he had a little cabin at uh, Glenhaven, Wisconsin. Which is about 100 miles south of where we were but still on the Mississippi River, right on the Iowa-Wisconsin border. Him and some of the guys from the courthouse went out there duck hunting. And they had single-shot, 20-gauge shotguns. and They had two boats, and my dad had a wooden boat with a horse-and-a-half motor on it. And they had gone out duck hunting with two different boats. And he came in when the storm started up, and his buddy, the other boat wasn't there yet. Well, it was, those guys, other guys didn't have a motor. So they went out to get them. And when they got to them, the guys 
were just, their clothes were wet and frozen. And so they got them in the boat. By that time the blizzard was raging and all the water that was coming up was freezing onto the boat. And they had, uh, my dad had the guy in the front of the boat with a hatchet knocking the ice off of the boat so that the boat wouldn't sink. <laughs> and with this little horse and a half motor, they did get back in and then those other two guys, they couldn't get them out of the boat because they couldn't bend their knees or anything because their clothes were frozen so stiff. So they pulled them into this little cabin where they had a wood stove going and they, and they thawed them out and, um, and they weathered, weathered out the storm in that, in that little cabin until they could get out of there. And um, little did they know how, how extensive the storm was, you know, but uh, the snow and everything, but they had enough wood to keep the, keep the fire going. And so they just hunkered down there for a couple of days until they could get out of there. So that was, that was his, his story of the storm and he was fortunate to even have an outboard motor because most of the people didn't have outboard motors at that time. Yeah, a tree like this should just, just be rolling with fish, you know? And you can't, can't even get something to even swirl at it. The fish continued to ignore Patty's swim baits and my flies, and before we knew it, noontime rolled up and it was time for lunch. Every great Midwestern gathering is centered around food. There might be some fishing or hunting or card playing in between, but it's mainly about the grub. You've gotten nothing. We've gotten nothing. Not a follow, not a thing. Where were you guys? Some grassy. We went to the bar. We should have. No rises or anything? We stood around the fire eating head cheese on saltines, Braunschweiger sandwiches, and homemade soup, all of which we washed down with coffee that tasted quite a bit like the thermos in which it came. As we stood around telling stories of previous trips to the Mississippi, I was reminded of a quote by Faye Augustine, who works for the nonprofit American Rivers. You have your greatest connection with kind of nature and with family and friends when you're on a river. And not only does that establish such an important kind of emotional connection with people that you're with, but it also establishes a really important emotional connection with a place. And she's definitely right. I fondly remember attempting to spear muskrats and deer with John and my old man on November 11th, back when I was in middle school. Mark brought along an old hardy bamboo fly rod that had been his father's and his grandfather's before that. The two men had long since passed away, but their legacy lived on through the hands that held their fly rods. Even Dave, the old timer from the assisted living facility, still loves the mighty Mississippi. I got a son that lives at, do you ever hear Brooklyn, Wisconsin? And he gets here to look after me when the fishing is good, he's here. Uh, he gets me in the boat, but, uh... <laughs> how, how did it feel being back out on the water with your son? Being oh, back wonderful. out on the water? Wonderful. I've always liked the river. I was, uh, really elated 
to get back out there and uh, catch those sunnies. <laughs> as important as it is to remember those who are no longer with us, we also need to embrace the next generation and show them our favorite places. Just last week, John had brought his grandson down to the Mississippi, and the kid had managed to land a 10-pound northern. Of course, Patty had to put her two cents in as well. Yeah, I got these two granddaughters, you know, and I don't know if they want to be doctors or nurses or scientists or biologists or IT people, but all I can do is show them what I know and let them choose if they want to be, if they want, if they want to learn that, you know? And so I had a problem with, you know, what am I going to do with these two little girls, you know? And because I'm sort of on the edge anyway with the hunting and fishing. But I thought, Patty, just be yourself. And they just love it, you know? We come down here and go out in the sandbars. Come down here and go out in the sandbars, catch fish, and they play in the, play in the sand, make castles, catch fish, and yeah, they get some pretty big fish out there. And it's fun because they can run in the sand and nobody else is here. So they're not afraid of digging worms. They like to take the fish off the hook, and they're not a, just to, to not be afraid of nature. Just to... Yeah, somebody's, somebody's having gonna have something for supper. Yeah, to just not be afraid, you know, and to, they come out here and there's no bringing any electronics, and I don't even have to tell them not to bring electronics. They just don't want any part of it because there's so many things to, to see and do and discover and look for treasures. And, and I hope that they just never lose that enthusiasm for the awe, just the awesomeness of nature. I'm just really, really fortunate to have, to have those girls and have an opportunity to pass on, to pass on what I know, you know, so. How long until you invite them on an 11-11 trip? Oh, it'll be a while. <laughs> it'll be a while, it'll be a pretty nice day. We floated around the sloughs that hadn't yet frozen over until we felt like we had done our part to keep the tradition alive. We met back at the boat landing. Five folks fishing for six hours for a grand total of 30 fishing hours and not a single fish to show. But I don't think anyone really minded. It felt right to be floating in the wake of our forefathers, surrounded by the memory of the duck hunters that never really left the river. This episode is dedicated to those who lost their lives in the 1940 Armistice Day storm, as well as all of our nation's veterans. Thank you for your service. Stick around for this week's Field Notes and an unrelated yet distinctly Drakean clip from Old Timer Dave. Many thanks to Patty, John, Mark, and my old man for sharing the water with me this past Veterans Day. It was a good time, even if no one brought brandy. A big thanks to Old Timer Dave and the St. Michael's Assisted Living Facility in Fountain City for the historical context. Alrighty, for this week's Field Notes, I was going to call up Patty in Wisconsin and ask how the fishing has been, but I know there's not much to report because just about everything in her neck of the woods is covered in ice these days. Tails Robin speaking. So instead, I called up the folks at Fishtails Fly Shop in Calgary, Alberta to ask them how the fishing has been up there. Oh, how the fishing's been, man. I haven't been out for a while here. Let me... 
Man, I don't think anyone has. It's been super cold here, dude. Air temps all below 10. These reports aren't much better than how things have been going in the Midwest. So here in Calgary, since the Boza tailwater, we do all right. Um, it's been all right. Like, they're stacking up in the winter pools. But, like, it's the shelves are starting to form. And with the variable temperatures, some days, you know, you got to watch out for bergs coming down and taking your knees out. It's supposed to warm up this week, though, so hopefully get be able to get out here pretty quick. I think we got a couple trips going out this week, actually. And how will they be fishing? Yeah, dredging, dude, deep and slow. Uh, typically, like, just a wireworm to help get the whole unit down, just because we don't like, really, to have that extra weight on there. And then I'll throw on a couple the small tungsten flies, starting at no bigger than a 16. Winter isn't exactly tourist time in Calgary. So if you're going to visit the rodeo capital of the world, Robin says you should come in July. July's awesome, just because if there's other stuff, like... If you're coming up with your family, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in town in July. Like, we got a big rodeo going on up here. It's, dude, it just can't be beat up there. I mean, we got the big browns are already party around then. If you come in July, like, you're probably coming post-runoff, and there's so much water all around. It's just everything you could want in a trout. I mean, you can just right here in the city, and up within, like, two, three hours away, you could chase everything from, you know, little 10-inch brookies and clear glass, like, spring-fed little ponds up in the mountains. They're, like, 30-inch bowls right in the cities. And a shout-out to our Calgary listeners. We acknowledge your existence and covet thy monster fishes. Okay, before we go, we have one more piece of tape from our good friend, old-timer Dave, who you met at the beginning. Oh, another thing i got to tell you about. We had a little Boston Terrier. Dick was a friendly dog. He liked everybody. He loved to ride in the car, but he hated chickens. <laughs> so my dad paid for chickens a couple times at... Dick was involved with. <laughs> uh, and he didn't like cats either. If there was a cat around, he was right after it. He'd go out, he'd swim for anything. So we'd t- when it wasn't too cold, we'd take him along, go duck hunting. And one day... Oh, Dad and I were over at Keller's Island. Anyway, we were over there one day, and I think there was two fellows, I think they were from Alba, and they had uh, a couple of golden retrievers. Or... So the other guys who were out there hunting ended up shooting a duck. But uh, their, their dogs wouldn't go out. Dad said, we'll send Dick out. So what he'd do is he'd stick an empty shell in the mud and throw it out. A very ecologically friendly, sustainable practice. When old Dick could see that splash out there, he'd go out there. No matter what was out there, he'd retrieve it. But anyway... Dad threw the shell out and out went Dick. Here old Dick came in with the duck. And the one guy said, I'll be damned. He said, if I didn't see this, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but I'll never forget that day he got that duck out of the water for those guys. <laughs> I couldn't hardly believe it. A little old bulldog retrieving. I hope that you're all able to appreciate the image of Dick with a duck in his mouth, rather than the other way around. Thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast.